Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. As usual, your hosts are with you, Mr. Laz Michaelides on the screen opposite me, Mr. Felipe Amarim. How are you doing, bro? All good, bro. How's everyone doing? Hope you guys are having a good time. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all autumny now, isn't it? What's it like in London? Is it all rainy well, or is it okay? It's warmer than I expected, to be honest. I thought it would be really, really cold by now. It's pretty cool, yeah. And here in Soho, it's a lovely day, you know, and uh, I'm thinking about going out for a coffee at some at some point, but I'm having my third cup of coffee at home now. So Fantastic. I'm <laughs> having my fourth cup of coffee in, in the streets at some point. <laughs> Drink of the day has been established. Um, so yeah, welcome back to, to the show. Um, uh, today we're doing another album episode, and I thought I'd explain to you guys why we're doing some albums. Um, me and Felipe thought that actually, you know, if we talk about bands, you can only talk about them once, and then you move on, isn't it, sometimes? It's like... I'm, yeah. I didn't want sort of the earliest episodes of our of our podcast to sort of get and we we tick off all the bands we love and suddenly two years into the podcast we don't have any more bands to talk about whereas albums <laughs> whereas albums yeah. there are plenty of them trust me loads um, and, and even band, some albums some albums that are from bands that we're not big fans but we still like the album you know like and, yeah. and yeah and we're getting recommendations people are saying to us you should do this album and I'm loving it because I'm hearing so much new music from this you know this this rock and roll era that we're talking about um you know which we i think we're kind of classing from the 50s through to well it took to nowadays you know our definition of rock and roll is musical freedom so it can be whatever and whenever um but these kind of 60s 70s 80s albums that people are saying and that you're recommending as well bro they've just been wicked um but albums are more plentiful and a band who has plenty of them is who we are talking about today uh so the band in question are the rolling stones and we are talking about their 1960 67 uh album between the buttons um and i was going to say it was the fifth album of theirs but on closer inspection on my notes it's actually the fifth uk album and the seventh, the seventh album well, do, do you have anything to say about that because i i couldn't really understand it how do they release an album in the us but not in the uk what was it like uh, did you have any insight? I, I, think, I think i think that was really common with the beatles as well because they had some special albums for america like compilations and stuff i guess and um, because of singles, or the nature of releasing music at the time was entirely based on the singles uh, model. Yes, so you yeah. release a single and then you release an album. And there's some weird things that happen in that sense, like the uh, well, the, the 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 single of this album, you know, "Let's Spend the Night Together." It's part of the American version of the album, but it's yeah. not on the the UK's version of the album. So I think like. Uh, uh, it's you would have to go album by album, but with the Stones and the Beatles, what happened a lot was they had some singles released in the UK that were not part of the albums. They have some, they had some songs released in some albums that were not like uh, you know that were not released in the UK or not released in America. Yeah. And from time to time, there would be compilations of of uh, singles that would become an album only in America or. I, I think, yeah. So, or, or maybe like after the band was popular in in a country, they would release like, oh, introducing the band as an album, kind of, kind of stuff in America. So, uh, it's very confusing, really. Like, <laughs> I, I, I've I've com I've compared the different versions of this album, and it's like the the track list is different. Why? I mean, I understand not having some songs, but different orders uh, or, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a different track list. Like, oh, this this song is somewhere else. Uh, I don't know why. I mean. 
you, you have to imagine that people behind the record labels at the time in America were probably thinking, well, you know, the American audiences are different. Maybe they need to listen to the hits first or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea why those those decisions were made, but I'm pretty sure the band wasn't totally in charge of, of making that artistic decision because it becomes an artistic decision, yeah. changing the, the order of the songs. Well, it's funny because when I was doing some reading about this album, um, Mick Jagger said that, it, he basically said that it was an album that was meant to be an album. It wasn't, he said, it's a sound experience rather than a song experience, which to me tells me that it's it's the overall album that you've got to listen to, not one, not individual songs. And we spoke about this uh, on one of the episodes uh, where we did uh, Rubber Soul by the Beatles. Yeah. We established that, that was one of the first pop albums, if you like, that was an album for the sake of an album experience and not just 11 singles put together on one CD or vinyl. Um, And that's really interesting because he has said that it was a sound experience rather than a song experience, but everything you said um, goes against that because if you make a sound experience, then things like track listing and where this track goes on the album matters. And so for the label or whoever was in charge to just switch things around wherever they felt necessary is kind of odd, isn't it? It is, it is, because because they thinking in a commercial way whilst the music that, that's that's a really like um that's a, a classic kind of conflict between artists and labels, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, uh, you have the artistic view and you have the commercial view, and uh, they never seem to find a middle ground. It's always a bit yeah. like, oh, I want it to be like this, this is the right way, and the label says, no, this is the right way because that's going to sell. And it's like, and it's obviously, we we understand, I mean, I understand the, uh, the uh, um, importance of making something uh, commercially viable on the other hand do record labels really know what people want or they just guess <laughs> or they just they because yeah because yeah because the thing is like is, is what um henry ford said about cars he said well if i asked people's opinion they would ask me to 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 bring them faster horses instead of <laughs> of cars because no one knew what a car was like so so it, it's it, you, 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 when you're producing an album as creative as this one, I think uh, you're just trying to deliver something that people never heard before. Yeah. So how how can the label know what is commercial or what is not commercial from the album? I think yeah, I think they did make a good choice. Maybe the band was involved with with the single, although uh, the result wasn't expected because they released uh, "Let's Spend the Night Together" as the A side and "Ruby Tuesday" as the B side, but "Ruby Tuesday" went number one. Did it really? Oh, yeah, I, I thought they both did, but no, you're right. Yeah, they didn't. No, um, yeah, it was the fourth number one hit the Stones had in America. So. Ruby Tuesday is just, it, it might be one of my top 20 songs of all time. I think it's a really stunning song. It's um, perfect. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, 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 that beautiful piano behind it is just so nice. Um, but that is funny, isn't it? The, the, the song they chose as the B-side was the more successful one. Yeah, yeah, because again, you don't know what people are actually going to like. Yeah. And uh, apparently, in America, the radios were um, they, they played an important role on on pushing for Ruby Tuesday instead of Let's Spend the Night Together, because Let's Spend the Night Together has a very sexual nature on the lyrics, and and you know some you know maybe some more conservative minds were like, oh, this is not cool. We're not going to, yeah, you know, Ruby Tuesday is kind of yeah. 
yeah not yeah exactly it will be shocking or whatever um, and there's there's if it if uh i don't know if you know the ed sullivan show story about that so i don't know the story no go on tell us oh that's i'll tell you that so that that's a really cool one so basically they they were about to perform that was in i think it was in 67 yeah yeah uh, they were about to perform uh, "Let's Spend the Night Together," and Sullivan said, "No, no, that's that's too sexual. We can't say let's spend the night together." <laughs> See, it doesn't even sound that bad nowadays. Yeah. But it's like you can't um, you can't say that on my show. So either the song goes or you go. So Ed Sullivan said that. Uh, so they changed the lyrics to "Let's spend some time together." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if making that concession is a good thing, or if it's rock and roll or not, uh, it can even be seen for me as a, okay, we found a way out of it. And yeah. uh, we're making a point here. I think I think it was cool that they actually did that instead yeah. of simply not performing. I think it was a good idea. I think anyway. it's funny. Let's Spend the Night Together is the most Rolling Stones song on the album, as in you just hear it and it's just, you've got that kind of, you got the rock and roll feel to it, the driving beat that goes through it. It's got some, I don't know, bluesy instrumentation and tone, but it's not a blues song. And it just has that upbeat pop rock vibe, doesn't it? Um, but it does. Really there's, there's, there's a bit of, uh, of, of um, I see the, the drumming on that song specifically as a heavy Motown. Yeah, I heard that throughout the album, and the drums throughout the album have been incredible. Um, before we before we talk about songs, uh, I'll just give you the the, the Laz info bit. Um, so the album is Between the Buttons by the Rolling Stones, released twentieth uh, of January nineteen sixty seven, recorded uh, between August and December nineteen sixty six. So that's quite a lengthy recording process. Um, it was done between the RCA studio in Hollywood and the IBC in London. And this is what I wanted to talk about is the the genres associated with it. So there were three main ones that I came across, and that was pop rock, psychedelic rock, and baroque pop. So pop rock, I think that's pretty simple. You know, you've got the Beatles, the Kinks, all doing, you know, the Who, all doing their thing in the 60s, which is this rock instrumentation, but with poppy choruses, poppy melodies. Um, psychedelic rock. Now, this is what I thought was interesting, because the year before, 1966, the Beatles had done Revolver, which was very psychedelic, very... Um, they, they focus quite a lot on using a lot of innovative production techniques and new instruments as well. You know, the, the sitar is heavily uh, focused. Um, what kind of, what songs are they? There's one called Love You Too uh, and Tomorrow Never Knows from Revolver by the Beatles. Um, so the psychedelic rock, you can kind of hear a year later, the, the Stones give their interpretation of, the, okay, that's how the Beatles do psych rock. This is how the Stones are going to do it. And the final genre thing is the Baroque pop. Now, we have spoken Baroque about this pop. a few times, actually. Um, we did it way back, one of the first episodes. I know it was, it was Hendrix, because Hendrix had a harpsichord on one of his songs. Um, but David Bowie, we talked the, when we did the Hunky Dory episode. Um, that's a, a Baroque pop. And so I kind of had my guess about what Baroque pop was, but I went a bit deeper for this episode and just tried to find out what it is. So Baroque pop is a fusion genre. Uh, but for people who don't know, Baroque is a, um, a, a kind of like a, a style of classical music. There's a few classical music styles. You've got classical music, Baroque, romantic music. And these are all eras, you know, I don't know how long they last, a couple of hundred years per era. And this is how the same way that you have blues to hard rock to heavy metal, that kind of is the same progression in classical music over hundreds of years. So Baroque is one of those. Johann Sebastian Bach, one of the most famous Baroque composers. So Baroque pop is a fusion... And he wrote genre. loads of stuff for the Habsburg, isn't it? Say again? Uh, uh, Bach 
wrote loads of pieces for the the half sport. That's so, it. Yeah. So and the, that's the, present the, in the album. That's exactly. So we heard harpsichord in Hendrix, we heard it in The Stones, and we heard it in Hunky Dory as well. Um, so Baroque pop, a fusion of genre, rock music plus classical music as well. But not necessarily classical music, more about the orchestration and the instruments used. It emerged in the 60s when artists pursued a more orchestral sound, and we spoke about that in depth on Hunky Dory, and there's elements of it here as well. So I just thought I'd, I'd sort of... Um, clear that up about what baroque pop is so it's basically rock pop music with classical orchestration and instruments playing um so with yeah. that in mind where do you want to start first bro is there a particular track you wanted to well, go is there a theme of yeah. the album or uh, there's a couple of things i, I actually want to want to say about the album and comparing that incarnation of the stones uh with the current one or with whatever they've been doing for the last 30 years because Fine. Uh, if you think about it like when you mention the styles in the album, I would say the number one thing that comes to my mind is psychedelic. That's what the album is for me. And it does remind me a lot of the Beach Boys and 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 uh, and the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, especially because of the vocal harmonies, which are not really the strongest feature uh in the Rolling Stones. The, I don't think they ever well, exactly. When 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 you see them live with all, all the, the the session musicians with them, you know the touring band. But yeah. then you have like you have people who are hired specifically to do backing vocals. So that's like uh, that's a specific things. So they know what they're doing there. So, but the band, like the Stones as a band, without hiring uh, backing vocalists, uh, doing vocal harmonies, and it, it that's that's something you don't see them doing nowadays. Yeah. And um, and also the Stones, they're very famous as a touring band, as a live band. And there's yeah. uh, there was a recent kind of uh, clash between uh, McCartney and, and Jagger about, uh, you know, Beatles versus the Stones again. I think they do that for, you know, to, uh, um, whenever they, they disappear from, from the media for too long, they just say some <laughs> bullshit to, yeah. to get some, some uh, uh, you know, some mentions, I, I think. And then McCartney said something, oh, you know, the Beatles were, like, really creative, whatever. I, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't know exactly what he said. But he said something. Whilst the Stones were a Blues Cover band. Uh, Blues Covers band. So, well, yeah. And then uh, Mick Jagger, when asked about that, he was, he, 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 he didn't, he was really polite uh, replying to that. He was like, oh, yeah, no, Poe's a sweetheart, love him. You know, but the Beatles, they had a, a completely different experience than the Stones. Because they were in studio all the time, whilst we decided to be a stadium rock band, yeah. which no one has done at the time. So you got to understand that the whole career of the Rolling Stones is based on being a great live act yeah. and to play for thousands and thousands of people every night. And I don't think no one managed to pull it off as well as they did for fifty years or more. Yeah. No, so. Um, yeah, so 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 in that sense, when you think about the Stones live, I had the experience to see them in 2006 in Copacabana Beach in in, in Rio de Janeiro, and I saw them live. Uh, oh, let me say properly, Rio de Janeiro. I mean, why, why am I saying like Rio de Janeiro? Rio, Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> Rio de Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Uh, uh, there were only two million people in that gig. <laughs> that's a world record yeah and uh and i saw them again in hyde park i had a sneak peek of the show really because i i caught um uh, i was playing a gig so i couldn't come see them so um i finished the gig and the guitar player andy who plays guitar in the band was like oh shall we just go there and 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 check the stones in hyde park i mean we don't have tickets but i mean it's just maybe the last 
four or five songs, and we managed to go to get there and see them play the, the, the last few songs. And it was the same sort of performance, and it's like a live, fairly heavy, uh, uh, um, you know, band. And and yeah. and it's all about the guitars all the time. Mm-hmm. And once when you listen, so that's that's the main difference when you think about this is a live stadium rock band they're playing Hyde Park they're playing Copacabana Beach they're playing uh, football stadiums all over the world yeah. so it's it has to be really guitar based because that's how you drive an audience live but when I listen back to the 60s stuff they were as psychedelic as everyone else at the time so I think this album uh, uh, is a product of its time it's not like it's not the stones as we know them now or as they have been for most of their career plus having Brian Jones in the album you know, he was he was still alive. He was still a member of the band. So that is the thing that, because um, uh, he I, he quit the band bef- briefly before he died, wasn't it? So they they lost him as a band member before they lost him. You know, uh, uh, in in this world. So yeah. basically, yeah. So Brian Jones was was a genius in terms of like uh, exploring different instruments and bl- bringing uh, different textures to rock music. So yeah. they would. That's the thing. After him, they never ever achieved that sound again and i think they were really clever by not trying to they never tried to be the brian jones rolling stones after he left when, when did he leave i don't know so i think briefly after that i don't know I, okay. I, that's the thing I, i'm not that's the thing about stones i'm not very familiar with with the the history of the band and the albums i knew the songs when i went to see them live for the first time i was like oh i know about six or seven songs yeah. And I thought well, maybe I'll be disappointed because I, I I I wasn't a big fan. So I went to the gig and it was that's mind blowing. Their live performance, like wow. Even if you Imagine. don't know the songs, and then I, after that I started. So I'm more familiar with songs than albums, and it's really good that you decided to do this album because I didn't know. I knew a few songs, not the album itself. So yeah, well, it's really interesting because this album um, apparently. See, see, I was what I did when I made these lists of all these albums. Is I kind of sort of found the main bands in in rock and roll and hard rock and all that stuff, and then I sort of took note of what people say were their most famous albums. But apparently, this was a less well known record of theirs, um, and I'm not sure why. Uh, Mick Jagger said, or was it Keith Richards said that this felt like a new beginning for the band as it was the first time they took a breath and distanced ourselves from touring. So isn't it interesting? Uh, yeah. You know what? When we did, when we talked about Rubber Soul, now I know Rubber Soul isn't the same psychedelically as Revolver is, but we spoke about Rubber Soul and we talked about how Rubber Soul was the first Beatles album where they stopped playing shows and said, listen, let's not just make hits for the sake of it. Let's put some effort into an album. And this seems to be like the first one that the Stones have done. Oh, yeah. Because and, and if, if you're not actually thinking uh, as a live band, you have so much more freedom. Because yeah. it, you can add loads of instruments that so you don't necessarily have to take on tour with you. And, and, it, <laughs> and it's, yeah, and it's, Here's the main thing for me that makes this album different from the current incarnation of the Stones or the Rolling Stones, as most people know, uh, is the fact that the guitar is not the main instrument. Mm. It's, this album, no. for me, is all about the piano. Yeah. So you, you've got two piano players in the album. It's Jack Nietzsche, is how you pronounce it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and Ian Stewart. Ian Stewart, uh, funny or not, he was, a, he was a member of the Stones since the beginning. And he was he was a member of the band when they started, but 
uh, the the producer uh, manager said like, "No, it, this the, you don't suit the image we need." It, it looked like a musician or an artist, <laughs> so he was excluded from the official lineup, but still playing the band, and he played with them until until he died. So uh, yeah, so he was a full time member of the Stones for his whole life, pretty much as a musician, and uh, and for most of their career, but never got the credit. And um, but and but he and uh, he he plays such an important role in this album. It's it's it's, it's so the the album is led by the piano most of the time, yeah. in my opinion, including yeah. "Let's Spend the Night Together." Well, we discussed it on uh, Hunky Dory as well, didn't we? The relationship yeah. between Rick Wakeman and David Bowie on those songs. Yeah. And you've kind of got the same here, haven't you? You know, there's quite a few... Uh, Ruby Tuesday is just the perfect example of the piano and the vocals leading the song and taking it where it needs to be. Actually, let's talk about that. We talked about the the A side of the, the single. Let's talk about Ruby Tuesday because there's, yeah. there's, so, there's flute in that song, doesn't it? Isn't it? Like, it's, it's called it's... <laughs> Alto Recorder. All right. I yeah. So yes, yeah, it's, it's like a flute <laughs> instrument. Yeah, but there's also a double bass in there. Um, All right. Yeah. Yeah. With Bill Wyman playing the double bass, um, as you mentioned, it was the band's fourth number one, and it just has this. I, I don't even know how to describe it, man. I can't really put a sort of stylistic label on it. Um, but just the the beautiful counter melodies that are going on with that alto recorder and the bass with the droning notes and the. Uh, I. I I'm lost for words because I love that song so much. It really is stunning. No, no, I, I, what I think, what I think is really, really cool about that song is is how they they don't even build up for the chorus. Like I think yeah. there's no drums until the chorus, and everything comes together. This, this yeah. everything happens at the chorus, and it suddenly stops. Like and it, it, it it's 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 a really cool build up, and and you have the 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 vocals like. They're quite soft comparing to uh, um, to the m- more rock and roll stuff they do. Yeah. So it's very very interesting. I mean, it's a very melodic song, and and I I love one of the lines in the lyrics is uh, "Lose your dreams and you lose your mind." Yes, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I love that line, and it's also lyrically is 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 fantastic, and and the chorus is really strong, and uh, the arrangements are. Amazing! They 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 did a great job. Like I, I think the song is flawless. I can't I can't I can't find yeah. anything negative about the song at all. Ten out of ten song. Um, is it yeah. you mentioning that the about the guitar? You said something about how the guitar wasn't the main instrument, which you are correct about. But there is yeah. a couple of songs which does bring us back to the hard rock side of the Rolling Stones. You know, I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, actually, do you know what? Let's go further back than that. Let's talk about the song Miss Amanda Jones, which is just like oh, a wow. yeah. rock and roll tune, isn't it? It's got that guitar. That is rock and roll. Yeah. That could be a Chuck Berry song. It's got the organ pounding behind. This is a this has got to be a, a a homage back to the Rolling Stones and their rock and roll roots. Yo, they, yeah, they never denied those like blues rock and roll roots. So yeah, it's it's very Chuck Berry that song. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds a lot like him. Uh, and it's straightforward rock and roll. There's yeah. there's no uh, it's it's a formula. There's not like uh, they're not experimenting there. Just like how would Chuck Berry write a song? That's how, exactly, that's, yeah. that's how it goes. But, and you know, sorry, go on. No, no, but yeah, that but that song's rock and roll. Uh, another one is uh, I think also doubt is um, yeah. because yeah. there's there's the more distorted guitar kind exactly. of exactly. 
and Connection. Connection is another one that's led by the guitar. And on my notes, if it's funny because I was listening to the album taking notes, and uh, when it gets to Connection, I, I've I've written guitar led finally because <laughs> <laughs> up to that point that's songs. like one yeah. two three of oh, the fourth song in the album oh okay finally we got some guitar not saying that i did enjoy uh, yeah. uh the absence of of heavy guitars before that but it's just like wow this this is more like the the stones i know and uh, i think yeah. you know i agree with you i think um the funny thing about the songs you've just mentioned, plus the two I'm going to mention. So you said Connection and yeah. Sold Out, and I'm going to yeah. add to that My Obsession and Complicated. How heavily reliant the song, those four songs are on the drums and how loud and in your face the drums are throughout the song. Man, that is... Um... That is the the one thing that really stands out in this album. And I would say this wouldn't be a rock album without Charlie Watts. Yeah. That's it's, really it would be. Yeah. It's psychedelic. It's pop. It's like a vocal. Uh, 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 like Sing-songwriter. Oriented. Sing, yeah. Really. It could be any of that, but it wouldn't be rock without yeah. uh, uh, Charlie Watts. The, uh, uh, especially, uh, let, me, let me make sure. Yeah. My Obsession, because there's a drum intro. And it's and it's all about the drums. There's a drum break all the time. They stop and it goes back to the drums. But as I said before, it sounds like a heavy Motown approach. Does, I'll tell you yeah. what was a classic Motown groove. That's that's uh, uh, pretty easy to understand. But basically, as musicians, we complain uh, all the time about people who clap their hands on one and three, right? Yeah, so but, yeah. So usually the way it goes is you clap on on two F one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, two and four. Where you're clapping your hands is where the snare drum place is the backbeat we call it the backbeat so you have some of the verses with a backbeat so the classic motown groove which was basically a formula they were using repeatedly with every single uh, song is you, you play the backbeat one two three four on the verse and you play all four beats on this snare on the chorus one, two, three, four. so you have that snare it's, you go from this one two three four one to this one two three four one two three four so that it does. It gives you an impression of like a, a double time kind of stuff, but it's not. It's not double yeah. tempo. It's not. You're not speeding up. You're just playing more uh, of that like a uh, strong, uh, loud instrument, which is this snare drum. So he yeah. does loads of that, but yeah. a lot, a lot heavier than than a Motown drummer would do. So well, it's kind of a pop groove, but in a rock and roll way. But they've and they've also they've they've looked at the other instruments in. Um in adding to that you know this will stick with my obsession that distorted bass on it the or i don't oh, know, is it a synth or a bass but anyway it's heavy um it's like a brown sound you've got somewhere on there I'm, this is unconfirmed this is just my guess there is a thing called a dane electro guitar which was yes. one of the first yeah. bases uh to be made now it was made in the 50s i think and what it was it was a guitar six strings but the strings were so much thicker and you got a really low warm twangy sound and you can hear that quite heavily on my obsession the famous song is um i can't remember who sang it but there's a song called wichita lineman uh it's a country classic and there is a dane electro bass solo in there and it's probably the most famous example of bass solos and guitar, well, and Dane Electro solos all together because it is probably the, the solo that's kicked off bass solos. So we'll put that in the playlist as usual with the album and the other songs we mentioned. Um, 
But sticking with the harder rock thing, you know, we did mention it on All Sold Out as well. There's a there's a fantastic blend in this album, isn't there, where they've managed to, you know, we'll take you back a bit to the animals and when we spoke about the animals and how we heard a rock and roll pop band very obviously, and I don't want to say trying to sound like this because that's a disservice to the animals because they did really well, but... When, uh, when the animals wanted to sound R&B, they sounded R&B. When they wanted to sound yeah. rock and roll, they sounded rock and roll. And the same with the blues. One comment I have about this album is that, as in Between the Buttons, no, no matter what stylistic influences you're hearing in certain songs, the whole album sounds like the Rolling Stones. And I think that's a fantastic testament to their songwriting and their musicianship that they've been able to take i mean listen i'll just run you through the songs quickly uh yesterday's paper has some baroque pop in uh connection i thought was a bit motowny she smiled sweetly was kind of soul and doo-woppy cool calm collected has that honky-tonk music the music hall kind of song all sold out hard rock distorted guitar my obsession a bit r&b uh who's been sleeping here folky um miss amanda jones the 50s rock and roll but whilst whilst you i'm listing off these stylistic influences and these genres none of those songs sounded like the rolling stones trying to be a covers band or trying to make oh miss amanda jones let's write a song that sounds like chuck berry it sounds a bit like chuck berry but it is undoubtedly the rolling stones and i think it's just fantastic the personality and the characteristics they've imprinted on this album oh yeah Still, still, still paying homage to the music that they loved from years before, but making a completely yeah. unique and personal album. Well, some people say that song "Who's Been Sleeping Here" is has a Dylan esque kind no, of storytelling yeah, style. Yeah. Loads of people say that there's harmonica and there's is acoustic guitar more, more than yeah. anything else, and it's, and the, yeah. and it's this kind of storytelling about a woman cheating on on, on her man. And it, and this, it's like, yeah, but still. It's not Bob Dylan. It's not remember, them trying to to be exactly like him. Uh, do you remember yeah. in Hunky Dory where yeah. we got those three songs where he was actively trying to sound like yes. Velvet Underground. He actively tried to sound like Bob Dylan. And that was clever in itself because David Bowie's taking his songwriting skills, manipulating his instruments and his voice to try and sound like someone else. But this... I I don't know how to describe it because they have taken some of the stuff that Bowie must have had as well, but they've just kept it as a Rolling Stone song, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. This is incredible. And it's an interesting point where like everyone talks about the genius of Brian Jones, but I think Keith Richards plays such an important role again because it's Mm. it's it's kind of uh, well, the first time he sings on his own with the Rolling Stones and is the last song of the album, something happened to me yesterday. Uh, so there's, there's a, he sings the bridge or one of the verses as well. And, um, and that's Keith Richards saying, look, I'm, you know, I'm a singer, songwriter, guitar player. I'm, I'm, I'm an important, you know, uh, part of all of this. And uh, yeah, Brian Jones was for sure essential to the way they arranged the songs and to the different textures that no other band would have at the time. But uh, that doesn't mean that, that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were not as important to the sound of the Rolling Stones and they were not uh, um, 
very creative because they were. I mean, if, if yeah. the, the amount, and, and I think again because they were not uh, designing this album to be played live, uh, it, it means it means you can do whatever you can do. Mm-hmm. Like actually talking about doing whatever, I want to do a segment. Oh, go for it! Well, tell us the segment. How, how rock and roll is that? So I got the last song, uh, Something Happened to Me Yesterday, which is about an LSD trip. Yeah, uh, I read that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, the lyrics, right? So the lyrics on the bridge. He don't know if it's right or wrong. Maybe he should tell someone. He's not sure what it was or if it's against the law. <laughs> so you have a song about, uh, prob- probably is a real story about Keith and Mick uh, getting really high on LSD, doing things that they didn't even know if it's against the law. How <laughs> rock and roll is that? You give you give him the number on that one. That's very rock give and roll. The <laughs> so the lyrics of the song about LSD, some crazy trip they went on and they didn't realize what happened. That's rock and roll. Of all, you know, I love I love songs where the artists don't feel ashamed or the need to hide what their influences were. You know, you got got to uh, what's the song the Beatles one got got to get you into my life which is just about um you know even if you think you know songs like the from band cypress hill who are this rap group who just smoke who just speak about how much they love smoking weed so it's like fuck yeah like if that's what you like then sing about it but for the stones to do it that early 1967 and to uh, to put you know to make the basis of the final song on the album about an lsd trip that is rock and roll i'm giving that a solid uh, i'm giving that an 82 that's a solid 82. Okay. Incredible. <laughs> that's, that's a good score sticking, yeah i mean this yeah no, i was gonna score. say sticking with that song um that is probably my favourite song on the album, apart from Ruby Tuesday. That that's an automatic uh, one. This is probably one of my next favourite songs on the album, and it reminded me a bit of "A Day in the Life" by the Beatles. The length of it, it kind of had that storytelling about it as well, and the the vast array of instrumentation. You know, you got the the in t- two minutes in, there's like a big band jazz section with a trumpet, a trombone, and a tuba coming in. I think I heard ukulele or mandolin in there somewhere as well. I could be wrong, um, but that that is. It feels like an underrated song to me because you've got all these other songs which are fantastic in their own right, but they're just sort of short little two and a half minutes. You know, one's trying to be a rock and roll song, one's like a little Motown R and B song. This did feel like it in a in a world of its own, which is why it did remind me of a day in the life. Which, for those who know the song, it was a staggering Beatles song that was the end of. Uh, Sergeant Pepper, I think, wasn't it? Um, which just had a crazy instrumentation, crazy orchestration, amazing production techniques. And I feel like this was um was was that version of the song for this album. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and and again, that's about the freedom of rock and roll, isn't it? You do whatever you want to do, you sing about whatever you want to sing, and you put whatever instruments you want to put yeah. into a song. <laughs> but there's so like a, a it's so much freedom in the whole album. But what I find interesting now, it just came to my mind what I said at the beginning about um, Charlie Watts being the um, being what keeps the album a Rolling Stones album. And it makes could, it a Rolling Stones album. It, and actually, you could call and, him the heartbeat of the album, right? It is, it is, because the one thing that is solid throughout the whole album, and, and it's 100% rock and roll all the time, is the drumming. Yeah, maybe that's what makes it a rock album for real, like that. Because even in the most experimental songs, the, the beat is there and it's strong. And I might say this because uh, I, I, 
I, I need to say this because I think Charlie Watts, um, alongside Ringo Starr, is one of the most like underrated drummers in history. Because people say, "Oh, you're not the new segment, new segment." Yeah, we need to talk about Charlie Watts. We need to talk about Charlie Watts. So, Felipe, as a drummer, as as the expert in this field, tell us a little bit about Charlie Watts. Why was he so important, A, on this album, and B, to rock and roll? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm going to quote one of my university teachers, because he said, uh, uh, in case you guys wonder why we're studying Charlie Watts in music universities, because he made millions out of the thing you guys want to do for a living. So that is, <laughs> that's one thing that drummers should know. And you wouldn't be that successful as a full-time member of a band for your whole life, if you if you're not that good, P- talking uh, particularly about this album, about between the buttons, uh, is he he just managed to lay down the perfect groove for every single song. Start there's, there's not a drum beat out of place, is there? No, and there's uh, I don't know if you originally I don't know if the album has been remixed to streaming platforms or other stuff, but the drums are so loud in the mix, and I think there's a reason for that. I think maybe the producer realized that, well, listen, without the beat, those songs, they, they mean nothing. And and it's creative. There's drum breaks. There's loads of drum intros. And yeah. Mick Jagger mentioned that he brought shitloads of drums into the studio for, for I think, it was the second song, yesterday's papers, isn't it? And, but I, he probably used in different songs. So he brought loads of drums to experiment and try stuff. So he wasn't like just, oh, I'm just going to play what is expected from a rock drummer. On the other hand, he played everything there is expected from a rock drummer. <laughs> so he, you know what I mean? He, he was yeah. experimenting stuff, but he, he didn't fail to produce a solid, strong, heavy beat. And I, I, I might, uh, I must mention She's My Old Sweetly because it's a, it's a slow blues vibe, you know, for your music connoisseurs out there is a 12-8 groove. Um, and it's a, uh, the drums are really loud, as I said, in the mix. And it's just, uh, you know, there's only three musicians in that song. That, really? That's a neat, yeah, Keith Richards said that he recorded bass, organ, piano, and guitar. Wow. So you have Keith Richards playing all the harmonic yeah, instruments yeah. and Mick Jagger singing, and you have Charlie Watts. Wow. So that proves that those guys are the core of the Rolling Stones, right? Mm-hmm. Because you had so many, you know, you had uh, uh, Mick Taylor and uh, and Ron Wood on guitar, you know, uh, after after uh, uh, Brian Jones wasn't in the band anymore, and you had so many lineup changes and stuff. But those three guys were the Rolling Stones, and sometimes I think Charlie Watts is underrated, uh, mm-hmm. or his importance as a musician in the band is underrated, and, and he kept the band together for fifty years. Uh, and I saw him live, and he had the energy to keep it going for two hours, like at the age of probably... Even, yeah, I was going to say, even in his old age, he was keeping yeah. it, wasn't he? Well, literally until he died. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, he you're kept right. drumming until the last day of his life. And uh, uh, What a legend. And, yeah. I, and and if people don't understand his importance for, for the history of drumming, you should have another look into it because he is mm. fantastic. Um, well, sticking with the song She Smiled Sweetly, I thought one thing I, I noticed a bit in this album was the influence, you know, we spoke about some other genres, and I know you said bluesy, but I heard kind of like a doo-woppy sound as well. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting because there was another song, uh, the song Complicated, where it's got that 
those vocals, it's like, ah. Now, that really reminded me of um, some early Frank Zappa because there, there was, I, I don't know the history of doo-wop, so I'm not going to pretend I do, but from what I've listened to and studied myself, it feels like, <coughs> excuse me, feels like that in the 60s, you had this kind of transitional movement where rock musicians were taking doo-wop and sort of rocking it up, if you like. Now, Frank Zappa did it with his first album in 1966. I'll put a song or two in the playlist from that album, which is called Freak Out. You can really hear how a guy who wants to produce and execute rock music takes something like doo-wop and makes it rocky. And it's in the same kind of vein that they've done here with Complicated. And even, uh, like you said, the song She Smiled Sweetly, I thought that was um, that was good as well. Um but yeah, man. I mean, anything else you want to talk about? Because I feel oh, like I, I, really lovely, lovelyly covered the album. You know, we don't need to talk about each song individually, but we've got a real good understanding of what they were doing musically um, with this album, haven't we? Yeah, and I think I think it's uh, as as the uh, the main idea of the show is always is to encourage people to look back into this rock catalog we have. Uh, you know, and 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 so so many. Uh, gems that have been like released in the past that we sometimes don't don't i, I didn't know the album see i knew the songs yeah. i knew the, the singles and stuff but i didn't know the album and uh thanks for for bringing that one up because it's it's I thought, phenomenal i can't I thought, i've listened it, to it like about three times in the last few days it's oh like, me too man it's been yeah, lovely it's, uh, I mean, oh, what an album we've done 35 yeah. episodes we've been podcasting for a year and two months and we haven't mentioned the rolling stones so i thought we have to get one of them <laughs> Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of things. Well, one thing I want to say is like, uh, do you have a favorite song? I want, I want to know if you have a favorite me. song from the album. Yeah. So Ruby Tuesday, that's just that's yeah. kind of like um that that that's goes without saying. After that, I really liked. Um, I'll give you three more. After that, something happened to me yesterday. Who's yeah. been sleeping here? And my obsession. Those are the ones. Okay. Something happened to me yesterday is one of my favorites as well, but I'll mention one you probably wouldn't think of. Cool, calm, and collected. It's interesting, that one. I love that song because he's talking about. He's talking about high class uh, English women, right? And, uh, <laughs> I and it's like, oh, that. she's so cool, calm, and collected. And there's all that, all that, like, uh, uh, that fake uh, behavior because you need to yeah. be posh and stuff. And it's, and why that's cool. Uh, not because uh, it's a satire. It's not. It's not. It's not being uh, mean. I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, but it, it just describes a character so well that I I listen to that song and I see a video clip. There's there's a there's it's like a movie in my head. Yeah. And see that the elegant woman walking into a room and it's and and it's a ragtime song. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's a honky tonk <laughs> ragtime song, isn't it? It's Where ragtime. It's not clanky. Wrong, yeah clanky piano and that's what you can imagine in the 1920s when they're sitting watching a black and white film and some pianists there going that's what so it's intentionally like a, a, yeah. a, a ragtime song and and <laughs> brian jones is playing the kazoo <laughs> yes yeah, <laughs> he is, yeah. So it's the it's, it's the 
funniest kind of timbre you have uh, of all of the layers of sounds they added yeah. in the album the, because um, it was the most unexpected one for me. <laughs> I'm fairly and, certain. I'm fairly certain that Queen's Seaside Rendezvous from 1975 was heavily influenced by this song. So we'll stick it in the playlist. You have a listen. Uh, what else did you, did you want uh, one, to say? One else more thing. Yeah, one more thing about this song. It speeds up in the end, and yes, that wasn't planned. Yes. That wasn't planned. Really. They were jamming, and then I don't know who started speeding up, and they just went to... Everyone was like, that fuck was it, it. We, have to, we have to catch up. <laughs> um, well, bro, I mean, I'm I'm happy to kind of wrap this up, because I think yeah. really well, and we've spoken about it. I, I want to draw... I mean, I've got my Laz monologue thing. Um, oh, yes, please do it. I love it. It's my favorite one thing. Sure. Actually, okay, fine. I'll do my Laz monologue, and then I'll, I'll ask you a question. Cool. So, yeah. my thoughts on the album... Um, they are a really, really nice collection of songs, and it is an album that I was really pleasantly surprised with. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the blues, and I know the Rolling Stones are quite a blues-based rock and roll band. And so to hear virtually no obvious blues influence on this album was really interesting, and that's the point I'm going to come back to you for. Um, I think the album has its own unique sound, and probably the addition of Brian Jones and his plethora of musical instruments that came in you know be them classical like the harpsichord or be them a kazoo uh, i think it adds to that and the way that jones was experimenting with different instruments and sounds was very indicative of the time you know you had the beatles who had just done revolver um, and i think that's what gave them this unique baroque pop sound brian jones experimenting with instruments and the producers experimenting with uh, recording techniques uh, however, that may be the reason for this album not being one of their best sellers and being one of the supposedly less well-known works of the Rolling Stones. But I think it's a great album, purely and simply because despite the wide variety of stylistic and genre influences you can hear on the album, each track only sounds like the Rolling Stones. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to take a bow after my monologue. Yeah, I'm, I'm only here for the monologue. <laughs> That's just what he turns up for. Um, yeah, there's my thoughts on the album. Um, question for you. Yeah. This, what I said earlier, we'll finish off with this. Rolling Stones, as you mentioned at the start, are such a hugely, a hugely blues-influenced band. Yeah. I struggled to hear any obvious blues in this album, which I thought was incredibly interesting. You mentioned that song, She Smiled Sweetly. You said it was bluesy. I can get behind that. I wrote down soul and doo-wop. I think it's, it's a, just a drum a groove, really. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, Miss Amanda Jones, you could start thinking towards blues until you hear the guitar riff and the piano, and then it's obvious rock and roll. What do you think about a hugely blues-based band like the Rolling Stones essentially not having any blues on this album, considering the last albums had so much of it? Oh, actually, and one of the uh, the most recent stuff they released uh, is is a blues, literally a blues covers album, they, they, right. uh, yeah, yeah uh, which they, they released recently. And um, yeah, um, I think the blues is their kind of safe place. Yeah, I'll say like whenever the Rolling Stones need a foundation, or or or, or they need to refer back to something that's gonna that's gonna work, you know, you you have your formulas that work a, yeah. a certain groove or a certain uh, style to write your lyrics or whatever. Yeah. Every band has something that is their main characteristic and is something that people recognize them for. And the Stones is this kind of really strong blues influence 
And, uh, well, the blues police doesn't like them because they think, you know, the, the Stones are not blues. Yeah, but they're not meant to be blues. They're a rock yeah. band. You know, they're, they're as bluesy as it gets. I mean, they, they are uh, the closest to the blues that, that I think any rock band could possibly get, my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but um, So do you think... Do you, so do you think that... So you're saying that the, the fact that there is such a... a so little blues on this album you think that's uh indicative of them branching out and experimenting and trying new things and sort of going a little bit away from their comfort zone yeah i don't I, i'm not familiar with uh the sound of the previous album and the album after this one so but by i believe they started as a blues band and they were playing well, like rock and roll uh yeah, a, lot, a lot of their first few albums before this had a lot of blues covers on them this didn't exactly happen. so they started from the blues and they are definitely back to the blues now in terms of uh, uh in terms of the foundation of that sound so yeah. uh, as i said i think the blues is kind of their, their safe place right mm. when the stones need to be the stones when they need to deliver something that they know people are going to dance to they know everyone's going to enjoy they go back to the blues. When I saw them playing for two million people, they played a Ray Charles song like "We're gonna do, we're gonna be really bluesy and rock and roll," like it's yeah. Chuck Berry and early blues in a slightly heavier way. So they, yes, they are a rock band playing blues. They're not a blues band. Mm. That's 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 what needs to be mentioned. So you know, people say, "Oh, they're not blues." Well, they are rock band playing blues. Yeah. Mainly, that's what they are, and that's how they kind of. Uh, managed to keep their career safe for that many decades. I mean, you don't know. Can you mention any other band that survived for more than fifteen years? That's insane. Playing live constantly, never stopping. Yeah. I mean, they stopped. They stopped in the early eighties for for maybe one year or two. I don't know. But they they kept going for all these years because they they had a foundation. I think with this album, what they did was like, well, wait a minute. What if, as I said, we branch out of this. Uh, style that people know us for or this kind of safe place and do something uh, experimental because you know you can always go back to your roots which yeah. they've been doing you know for for ages the live version of the stones is m a much more straightforward blues rock band uh than than some of the albums and this i mean they don't even play ruby tuesday live anymore. <laughs> you know it's like uh, and it's they don't do those things because maybe they're not suitable for a live gig for for yeah. for for the current incarnation of the stones or or anyway but i i would say that blues is where they um they go back to blues is a, is where they go back to and anytime they need to be the rolling stones everyone knows but i think with this album they just wanted to to taste freedom to an extreme level and, you know and rock and roll is musical freedom as we've said exactly yeah fantastic and they hey, what, did really well yeah yeah what, what a great place to end the episode um did you did you, did you like the album oh, i loved it it's loved fantastic it. isn't uh, it not yeah, really I wasn't, bad song. i wasn't expecting you to, to 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 enjoy every single track and i did yeah so, yeah i think i might I just know, listen I, to I it again though I, I, don't, yeah, I know yeah um not, i don't want to leave another discussion point because we're going to end it now but for me, I, I mean, I've said I'm not a. I love the blues for what it is and what it means, but in terms of what's the first genre of music, if I could choose, I'd put on. It wouldn't be the blues, yeah. and it wouldn't be yeah. anywhere near the top. You know, you guys know I love my metal, and then I go for some rock, then I go for some classical, then some jazz. Blues is quite far down, but I still love it for what it is. But 
I think the reason I loved it so much is because it we had it was it wasn't as bluesy as other Rolling Stone stuff, and they were branching out and doing some more, you know, taking in the folk, taking in the classical stuff, um, the the ragtime music, you know. Um, That's why it's good, really. Uh, it's like, um, yeah, uh, 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 the one thing I'm, I'm kind of um, um, I kind of regret is taking me so long to actually dig into the stones material because i'll tell you a funny story a quick one uh, because i'm i'm a rock fan my mum assumed there was a huge rolling stones fan and i liked more the beatles and zeppelin and pink floyd than stones and uh, and she kept kept buying rolling stones photo books <laughs> and all sorts of memorabilia <laughs> well and i was like i'm not going to tell her that i'm not a fan because i don't know much about it. i never disliked this yeah. to be, to be uh, uh, fair to them like they i love them they're great yeah. But I didn't know much about them. My mom kept buying books and stuff. I was like, yeah, I got all these books about the stones. I was like, and, and then I started, you know, knowing more about the, yeah. the, the stories behind the band than, than actually knowing the albums, which is really funny. So, yeah, thank, uh, thanks, thanks, mom, for all the stones memorabilia you gave me all these years. And uh, um, I live in the same uh, road as the Rolling Stones uh, store here in Broadwick oh, Street. So, so if I walk down the road for two minutes, there's a Rolling Stone shop, like big one. Uh, I tell you what, next next time, next time I'm down and we hang out, I'm going to go there because I want this album on vinyl. It's really so. This, so the Stones have been chasing me for all these years. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, I think there's a good place to leave it. Um, thank you so much for joining us again, guys. Um, as usual, you know, you know where to find us on the internet and everything. Uh, one thing I will ask is we are, we are an independent podcast that is just me and Felipe running it. We've got no outside support or help. So something that matters a lot is the reviews because the more reviews we get, the higher up the charts we go and the more likely we are to be seen by people who don't already know us. It's really quick. If you're on Apple or, or if you're on Spotify, it's right at the top of the page. Just hit the five stars if you like us give us a little five star rating and then get on with your day on the apple you can actually write a little bit if you want to give us a sentence or two about why you love oh, just so much if the, if if you can't be bothered writing if you just just write fucking brilliant you know yeah yeah bloody fantastic last is sexy just yeah, write anything that. like that anything yeah. um, but, but those reviews really do go a long way and you know you hit play on the episode if you can just take 10 seconds of your time scroll down hit the five stars write great show and that does the world of good for us you know we like i said we are independent um an independent podcast um and yeah these are the sort of things that help in this kind of world so thank you again for joining us guys we really hope you've enjoyed this and uh, we'll see you next time yeah and uh don't do anything i wouldn't do and keep on rocking everyone <laughs> every time i say goodbye to him like after we do a gig or after you leave or a podcast <laughs> he says all right lads have a good day don't do anything i wouldn't do so that it's is very short that's list, the staple for me play line <laughs> anyway guys yes um yeah thank you for joining us again and as always long live rock and roll mm-hmm.